Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. I am so excited about what God's doing in the house today. I don't know if it was just me or you, but I just felt just a strong anointing of the Spirit in the praise and worship time. God was in the house, and, and maybe it's because we've been seeking Him all week long, and when we seek the Lord all week long, and we fast, and we pray, and we wait on God, then He begins to work inside of us, and uh, we come ready. We come ready into the house of God, and we say, God, I'm here for whatever you want to do in my heart and life, and so... I, I know many of you join me in fasting this week. Uh, you, you about, like you, Aaron said, Monday or Tuesday, you think you're going to die. But I tell you what, God did some incredible things in my own heart and life. And I'm ready and excited for the word. How many are ready for the word this morning? We're, we're going to just have an awesome time. As we look. Last week, we began our series on revival, and we looked at uh, Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet, excuse me, to Judah, to the south in Judah. And, and, and we, that short book right there, and we looked at chapter 3, verse 2. He says, revive thy work in the midst of years. Revive thy work. God, send revival to your people, to your remnant, to your work. Even though the Babylonians are coming, even though they're going to take us into captivity, you're able to bring revival. And we looked at that message last Sunday morning. Now, we're going to look at another prophet. His name is Hosea. So turning your Bible to Hosea chapter 10, we'll look at verses 11 and 12 this morning. Hosea chapter 10, verses 11 and 12 today. You know, God, we're going to look at a lot of that. We're going to look at Ezekiel and the dry bones. We'll be looking at some other messages in the days ahead. And you say, why are we in the Old Testament? Why are we looking at the prophets? Because Israel had gotten in such a mess that God would send these prophets, these voices crying out in the wilderness for Israel to repent and turn back to God. And so they talk a lot about revival, and we'll see that in the Old Testament as we study together. Uh, While you're turning, let me just give you a little backdrop. Hosea lived in the tragic final days of the northern kingdom. Now, I said Habakkuk was in Judah in the south. Hosea is prophesying to the north, the northern ten tribes. Now, Israel, the northern kingdoms, had been through six kings in a span of 25 years. They were really going through them, and four of the kings were assassinated by their successors. So if you wanted to be a king in Israel, kill the king, and you would be the next king. And so that that, that was going on, and that's what happens. In fact, you read in Hosea chapter 4, verse 2, it says, bloodshed follows blood. And there was so much bloodshed and so much violence in Israel. The kings were killing each other. There was idolatry in the land. They had turned from God. Apostasy was what was going on in the northern tribes. And so God is going to use the Assyrians to come in and punish the northern tribe of Israel. And even now they are moving and heading in the direction and they are about to take Israel into captivity. And it's against this backdrop, Hosea writes this letter that we have for the nation of Israel today. And, and, but isn't it good to know, God will always have a light that will shine in the very darkest times. And that's exactly who Hosea was. He was that light shining in the darkness upon impending doom coming into the nation of Israel. Now, let me give you the story of Hosea. God is going to use Hosea 
as an example or a model for the nation of Israel. And so he tells Hosea to do something. He says, Hosea, I want you to take a wife. And which Hosea said, hallelujah. Okay, God, it's time to take a wife. But for Hosea, it was kind of good news and bad news. Let me give you the good news first. I'm going to get a wife. And the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And so Hosea is pretty excited about being able to find a wife. Here's the bad news, though. You're going to find her in the red light district of Israel. And her name is Gomer. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of dating myself here. But when I hear the name Gomer, somehow I've pictured Gomer Pyle. And I, you know, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, what did this woman look like? But he says, <laughs> uh, he says, go find a wife, take a wife. And what what is happening is God is going to use Hosea as an illustration for God's love for the nation of Israel. Even after he uh, marries her and loves her and cares for Gomer, the Bible says she continues to step out on him. She becomes very unfaithful to him and he leaves Hosea after they're married, leaves her and returns to the red light district. In other words, you can take the red light district out of Gomer, but you couldn't take the lust out of her heart. You could change locations and places and all those things, but her heart never changed, and she kept wandering back to her wickedness and her adulteries and her fornications. Uh, and, and so he says, what Gomer is doing is exactly what the nation of Israel has been doing to me. Israel's been stepping out on me. They have been unfaithful to me. They have been whoring after other gods. And yet I still love them. I still love my covenant people. I still want them to come back to me. I am still reaching out to them. And so he uses Hosea to get this message across. Now let's stand together as we read God's word this morning. Hosea 10 verses 11 and 12. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh. So I will put a yoke on her fair neck. In other words... Bondage is going to come to the nation of Israel. I'm going to put a yoke on her neck. I will drive Ephraim. Judah must plow. And Jacob must break up the ground. In other words, hard times are coming. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Father, today as we open up your word, open up our hearts, I pray, mighty God, Lord, do your work in us. Break up the fallow ground, I pray. May there be a genuine move of repentance in your house today. God, do your work in us. Do your cleansing in us. Cleanse me, oh God, I need you, Jesus. Every way I pray in your mighty name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The Jews were an agricultural people. They were a nation of farmers. And so it wasn't unusual for God to use throughout the word of God, especially these these farming illustrations. They knew exactly what he was talking about when they used these kinds of illustrations. And what he's saying is the ground of Israel's hearts had become very hard. 
There was a hard heart. It was hard ground uh, that Israel had at this time in their history. It kind of reminds you of the story in the Gospels. Remember the parable of the four soils? And, 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 and Jesus says when he tells the story, tells the parable, there are four types of soils. In fact, this parable is so important, it's found in all four Gospels. And he says when you understand this parable, you can understand all the teachings of God. Because it, it, re, it revolves about how we receive the word of God into our own heart and life. And so he talks about these grounds. And he said there's a couple of them he described as very hard grounds. And one, he said, was the first ground. He called it the wayside ground. And it's the ground that is on the side of the road. It's the, it's the trails. It's the ground that has been trampled over again and again and again. And the ground gets so hard that when the seed of the word hits the ground, it can't get down into the ground. And so what happens, he says, the birds of the air, and later in his interpretation, says the devil comes away and he snatches away the seed of the word of God even before it's allowed to penetrate into the heart and bring true repentance. And Israel had been trampled over again and again and again by wicked kings and by idolatry and pagan priestesses and Ahab and Jezebel and these other wicked leaders up in the north. It had been trampled on again and again and again. It become very, very hard. And once again, the Assyrians were about to come and trample over that ground one more time in the north. But he, tell, he talks about another kind of soil that's hard, and he calls it the rocky soil. And he says what happens is the top soil's good, and so I've got a little illustration for you. You can see it. I've got my dirt up here, and I've got my ground up here. And he says what happens is that the top of the soil is good, but, but, it, it, but right beneath the surface of the soil are the rocks. And there's rocks all beneath it. And he calls it the stony ground or the rocky ground. And what happens is when the seed of the word gets down into the soil, it only goes so deep. He says it springs up very quickly, but it hits the rocks. Now what happens when the, when, when the roots begin to hit the rocks? They spread out. And instead of going deep into the earth and drawing moisture from the ground, they spread out and become very shallow. And because they are shallow, he says when the sun comes up, it bakes the ground, uh, the ground gets hard, uh, and it withers the plant, and the plant dies. Rocks. Going to mess you up. The seed can't get down into the root of the earth. It spreads out, and the sun destroys the ground the ground needs to be plowed up the rocks need to be removed now what do the rocks stand for the the rocks stand for my unyielded rights and they're not always bad good things can come in the way of god and when those good things or those bad things are allowed to remain they crowd out the lord and God can't come in, and then when the persecution comes, when the trials come, because you have no depth of root, it destroys the plant. And so the ground needs to be plowed up, and you take the hoe, and you plow it up, and you go through it again and again, and you break it up until you pull every rock out of there. Pull up the rocks. Now here's the rub. If we don't, Plow up the rocks. God will do it for us. And he calls it spiritual discipline. 
And this is exactly what is about to happen to Israel. Go up one verse, if you would, in verse number 10. When I please, I will punish them. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bonds for their double sin. In other words, because of Israel's wickedness, because they refused to repent and quit worshiping other gods and chasing every god that was out there and every sin that was out there, he says, because of your failure to obey me and follow me, I'm going to send the Assyrians and they will deal with you and they will punish you and then you will cry out. I want you to turn, if you would, for our own in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12. It is so true. Just listen to it. Hebrews 12. Look at verses 10 and 11. Our fathers disciplined for us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good. That we may share in his holiness. So there are times in our life that God allows adversity and it's only then we cry out to God. I think people get lethargic and backslide more in times of prosperity than they ever do in times of adversity because they get proud and think I got all the answers and I don't need God. But it's in those times of adversity we say, God, help me. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so the question is today, are we going to deal with those unyielded rights, those sins in my own heart? Am I going to repent and turn to God? Or I place myself in a position where I'm vulnerable to his own discipline. To break up the fallow ground is to break up your hearts in repentance. Now this morning I want to talk about repentance What is repentance? Repentance implies several things. First of all, it implies a humility. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And so repentance starts out with humility. And it says, you're God and I'm not and I need your help. And, it, and, and there should, repentance should produce a godly sorrow, not a worldly sorrow, not the sorrow I, I got caught and so uh, I, I'm going to, I'm, Lord, I'm, uh, I'm never going to speed again because the policeman just caught me. But as soon as he's out of the, our rearview mirror, man, the, the pedal goes right back down and we're doing the same thing. The difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And, and it implies sorrow. It implies forgiveness. It implies us crying out to God. God, forgive me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, but the good news is, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But at some point, we've got to agree, I've got a sin problem that I'm dealing with, and I need to forgive me of that sin. And then last, repentance always implies a change or a turnabout or going in a new direction repentance i don't want to do that ever again and so he begins to deal with we got to deal with the rocks what do we do with them all sins fall into two categories sins of omission or sins of commission and and these sins have got to be dug up in our heart and life and so this morning i'm going to go through several different sins of omission i'll go through several different sins of commission and as i go through these sins i want you to do something for me just examine your own heart this morning and let the holy spirit speak to us today now first of all we're going to deal with some sins we're going to deal with some sins of omission those are those things that 
we ought to be doing but we don't do. It's like he says in Romans, the things that I ought to do, I don't do. And so, first of all, we gotta put the plow in and we gotta pull these rocks out. Oh, I found one right there. The first rock I gotta get rid of and deal with and that sin of omission, we're gonna call this one ingratitude. Ingratitude. How many times has God been merciful and good and loving to us uh, and, and we fail to say, thank you, God, you are so awesome, you are so wonderful, or are we like the ten, nine lepers who are so quick to get on our way, we forget all about God's blessings and all about God's mercies and we fail to say, thank you, God, you are an awesome God, you are wonderful, it is only your good hand that I am anything. And so we've got to deal with this rock of ingratitude and we've got to get it out of our life. The second one I want to talk about, let's keep plowing and get some more of these rocks out of here. Here's a big one right here. Let's, let's get this out of here. Here's one. We're going to call this the sin of loving God, uh, neglecting to love God, neglecting to love the Lord. Can you imagine in a marriage if you never told your wife you love her? At some point, she's going to wonder what's going on and do you really love me? And she'll become very insecure in her relationship. Do we allow other things to come in and crowd out that love for God? Uh, And yet, how much does God love us? And because he first loved us, how can I not but say, God, I love you so much. You are my everything. You are my all. Or are we like the northern tribes of Israel? We let other gods and other things come out and crowd out the love of God out of our heart and out of our life. The Bible says God is a jealous God and he will not share your, let you share your love with any other gods. That neglect, that failure to love God, our hearts go to so many other lovers. Let's keep plowing. Oh, break up the ground. I found another rock right here. We got to get it out of the soil so the roots can go down. We're going to call this rock the neglect of God's word. God has given us the word of God, and yet I wonder how many shelves it sits on in your home, and it's there. You may have four or five Bibles. You've got more Bibles than you'll ever read. You've got every version. Uh, they've got every devotional Bible known to man. The problem is we don't read it. I, 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 and, and yet, and, and, and let me take it a step further. Don't just read the word out of law or obligation, but let it be your joy. Let it be delight. God, what are you going to show me today? What are you going to teach me today from your word? And don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. And so I want to challenge you. you got a brand new year starting out. Get back into the word of God. And some of us need to repent of neglecting that word and leaving it on our shelves. So we got to repent of that very thing and then there's this more rocks that are here and so we're pl- oh, i found another one i got to get this dude out of here for the seed to go down and found good royal this sin of omission we're going to call neglect of loving the lost Listen, we see our friends go by every single day. We see our our lost relatives, our lost buddies, and yet when's the last time we prayed for them? When's the last time we carried them in the arms of faith up to our almighty God? When's the last time we told them, hey, listen, I I know someone who's got an answer to every problem in life, and we'll give you life and life more abundantly, and and we'll show you how you can go to heaven, and yet we don't talk to them, and we get quiet, and we keep it all on the inside, and we're not burdened anymore, and we don't care anymore, 
anymore and they're just simply all around us. Uh, when's the last time we found a, a good sinner and just did something loving for them and kind for them and trying to open up their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so we'll call this rock the sin of omission, neglect of loving the lost. Let's keep digging a little bit more. Oh, another rock. Got to get it out of there. I'm going to call this one neglect of your family duties. Neglect of your family duties. How do you live the Christian life in front of your family? How do you live the life in front of your sons and your daughters? What do they see? What will they know about Christ from your life and from your witness and from your testimony? And sometimes we, we, we do our best to get them to church, but that's about all they see throughout the rest of the work. And they hear things and they see things and they see attitudes and they see all that going in the home and all the house and they, they hear all the gossip and they hear the language that comes out and they see those fits of anger and they see all that begin to happen and your, your sons and daughters begin to say, you know what, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. We have a duty to pray for our sons and daughters and lift them up before the Lord and take them to the altar and prayer every day. And so we've got to get that rock out of there. And then there's one more I want to talk about in the sin of omission. Let's see if we can keep plowing. We've got to get all the rocks, and I've got to find them. Ah, here it is right here. We're going to call this one neglect to watch over our brothers. The Bible calls us to live in community. He said that way we can encourage one another. That way we can admonish one another. That way we can bear one another's burdens. That's why we can hold each other up in prayer. That's why we can hold each other accountable. And so, so, and what happens is, you know, as long as we have this kind of sin or, or any other sin in our life, as long as it's covered, uh, we'll forget about it and we hide over it and, and we deny it and we justify our actions and all that. But when I get this rock up to the surface, my brothers and sisters can help me with that rock. And that's what the family's all about. And so, so when everybody sees it's at the surface, as long as I cover it over, as long as it's hiding, I'm out there by myself, I'm an island, I'm living in denial, and I'm in, living in justification. But when I get that rock to the surface, there are men and women to help me overcome that addiction, overcome that problem, overcome that stronghold in my life. And that's why the body of Christ is so important. That's why our groups are so important. That's why men's fraternity and sisterhood, these other ministries are so important because I've got family members who will hold me accountable. There are support groups for you that are struggling with alcohol addiction, drug addiction. We have Celebrate Recovery and other groups that can help deal with those things in your life that ought not to be there. And yet if I'm not involved, if I'm just coming to church and doing my own thing and living in isolation by myself, I'm neglecting what God has called me to do in the body of Christ. The good news is you got a chance today. We got our groups fair in the back. You can sign up and you can get involved and you can get plugged in somewhere. And then there's a whole other category of sins we call sins of commission. Those are things that we do. Those are acts that we do. And so let me just begin to get some of those rocks out of here. 
And here's one right here. And this is probably one of the most deadly sins of commission. It's called pride. And that pride gets in our heart and that pride keeps us from God because God resists the proud. And that prideful heart says, I can't do anything wrong and everybody else is wrong around me and I don't need to repent of anything. And, and uh, it's my wife, it's my kids. They're the ones that mess me up. It's uh, everybody else's fault. It prides what's keeping us forgiving one another in our families, in our homes, in our job, in our relationships. We don't forgive each other because they violated my rights. That stinking pride that divides marriages and families. It's got to be dug up. It's got to be confessed. It's got to be wept over and cried over and repented of. Let's get rid of the sin of pride. We got to keep plowing. There's more rocks we got to deal with. Ah, here's one right here. This is a nasty rock. Got to deal with it. We call it the sin of envy. Envy is one of those very insidious sins. It's that sin that just kind of cringes when somebody else is praised. Not you. They didn't say it about you. They said it about somebody else. And and we get a little envious inside because they got praise and we never got that. And so we become envious. Or or it's that little insidious thing that I kind of delight when they mess up. They, They fail. They fell really good. And we rejoice more in their failures and their successes. That's all about what envy is. And it's, it'll destroy you on the inside. Envy. Envy, a very terrible sin. And so we're plowing up the ground. We're breaking it up. And we've got to get these rocks out. And here's another one I don't want to deal with. It's called slander. Slander. Gossip. We slander one another in the body of Christ. We, we talk about each other and, and we say things to injure them or to harm them in some way to somebody else. That's called slander. Whether it's true or false, I don't care if it's true. If you say something to injure anybody else in the body of Christ or in your relationships, whether it's true or false, or there's an element of truth to the whole thing, and you begin talking about them and gossiping about them and saying bad, the Bible calls that slander and sin. It's got to be repented of today. It's got to be dealt with. We've got to dig it up and let the Holy Spirit deal with it. We dig it all. Oh, we've got to get this rock out of there. Lying. That, that, that intent to deceive. Listen, sir, I want to tell you, the rent check's in the mail as we speak. Dude, I, I want to say, you liar. Somehow the mail loses every check you ever send. I've given you my address a hundred times. They will lie right to your face. We lie at work. We cheat and defraud. We, 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 we cover up. We, we lie. It's got to be dealt with. The Bible calls that sin. We've got to keep plowing plowing so the so the 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 dirt can go down the sea can go down and get in the ground and so we've got to deal with this sin of that bad temper and we 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 get in our home and we get yell at our wife and yell at our kids and how much abuse do we see in our land today and we got this temper and this anger that is seething and raging on the inside and it messes us up and and we're at work and we get all over our employees and we lose our cool and we lose our temper Listen, my team last, lost last night because a couple of guys couldn't keep their temper. Uh, all to your delight, Eddie. It's got to be dug up. It's 
got to be dealt with and discarded. Or, get that one all the way out of here. Or your team or lose. If it bounces, Alan, don't sue me if it hits you in the head. If one of those rocks come that way, please. Had enough lawsuits. Uh, and so we're digging and we're finding these rocks. Ah, I've got to get rid of this rock right here. It's called immorality. Immorality. And you say, Pastor, I'm cool there. It's still me and my wife, but you'll sit at night in front of your computer all by yourself and you're watching junk on your internet or you're walking porn, watching porn late at night on your television. And the Bible says if you've already lusted in your heart and lusted for somebody else in your heart, it's just like you did it anyway. Uh, you've seen your image with that woman. It's just like having an affair with that woman. And that gets in your brain and gets you all excited and ramped up. And, 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 and then it becomes that addiction that lays a hold on you. And it messes up your witness and your testimony and your life. And it's got to be dealt with and dug out. Got out of the ground. So the word of God, the seed of the word can get into your life. And go down. Find good soil. And then hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Listen, so many will confess their sins, but they have a mentality that I'll confess my sin on, on, uh, in church on Sunday, but I know I'll be back in the bars on Friday. I know I'll be back running around on Saturday, and I know I'll be cussing the rest this week, but I'll get in church, and pastor will preach, and I'll feel all sad and all upset. And what happens is if we are not careful, our repentance is an emotional response instead of a genuine attitude to change, and the Bible calls it that hypocrisy. He says in the word of God to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed sepulchers, you're whitewashed tombs, you look good on the outside, and you shine on the outside, but inside you're filled with dead man's bones. That hypocrisy heard a story of a couple of men. They were out to sea. And they had been out to sea for a long time. And they, they're running out of, they're out of food and water. And they're going to die. And they're, they're baking. They're dehydrated. They've been, and, and, and one guy begins to cry out. He says, oh, God, if you'll save us, I'll change. I'll quit my womanizing. I'll quit my drinking. God, help me. If, 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 if you'll change me, I'll quit my cursing. And about that time, his buddy nudges us. Quick, be quiet. I think I see a ship. Before you say too much. You know, you don't want to change too much. It's, it's, it's deep, I know. It's a heady joke. But anyway, I thought, I thought it was funny anyway. Genuine repentance means I change. I change my actions. And so Hosea writes, break up that hard ground. Break up that fallow ground. Get rid of all those rocks. Israel, it's time to repent and turn back to God. And if we are going to see a revival, revival always begins with genuine repentance, period. The second thing is this. He says, sow in righteousness. And so once you've got the ground broke up, you take your seed bag out. and You begin to go out and you... Got some good ground now. You got all the rocks out of there, and you begin to throw the seed. You begin to spread it all around, and you get it ready because now the ground is ready to take the seed of the word of God. And what does he say, sow in? He says, sow in righteousness. Scatter that seed of righteousness. I want to tell you, if the church will begin to sow in righteousness, the world is looking today for a holy church. 
They want to see a church that is different, that is holy and righteous and not like the rest of the world, uh, so in righteousness. Hosea writes to a people who worshiped God on the Sabbath uh, and brought all their sacrifices in before the Lord on the Sabbath day, but the rest of the week they served and followed other gods. Uh, How much like the American church are we? So in righteousness, holy living, seven days a week, not just one day a week. Holiness is an outward manifestation of what God has already done in the heart. So it begins in here. I can't change myself. I can't make myself holy. But when God comes in with his blood and purifies and cleanses me and I stand under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then out of that, my mouth changes, my mind changes, my actions changes, my attitudes changes. Everything about me begins to change because Christ has already done that inward change inside of me. And the Holy Spirit keeps working on me, getting up the rocks, and I am living more and more like him today than I did yesterday or the day before. Holiness, holiness. Listen to Hosea chapter eight and verse number seven. He says, they sow to the wind, they sow their seed out to the wind uh, and they reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head, it will produce no flower where to yield grain foreigners would swallow it up. In other words, you're throwing your seed all over the place and that's what he says to the nation of Israel and how much in America today have we been sowing to the flesh? We sow to the flesh. We want this and we want it now and we sow to the flesh. The Bible says if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap death. In America today, we've been so into our flesh and now our families are breaking apart uh, and immorality is an all-time high and we redefine what marriage is supposed to be and supposed to look like uh, and we are aborting babies every single year by the millions uh, and we have sown to our flesh and we are reaping the whirlwind uh, and there are now 53% of everybody who was born will be born into a fatherless home, 53%. And we're reaping ISIS come along and bringing destruction in our land and and our education system is going down, our our economy, everything that we're reaping the whirlwind of all that we have been sowing to. We have left God out of our country and now we're reaping the whirlwind. Now, when I preach on holiness, listen to me. It is not intended to bind you up or destroy your your fun. But when you walk in true holiness and obedience to God, it is the only pathway to joy. It will literally set you free. It'll free you from your bondage. It'll free you from the torment of sin. It'll free you from the weight of guilt. For the seed to yield fruit of righteousness, you must put down deep roots. Now listen to me, if you really want that fruit of righteousness, you want roots to go down, I want to encourage you to do two things. Uh, you need to pray and seek God every single day. Make prayer right there at the top of your priority. But listen to me, I, you need to put roots down in a local church. You can't do that from hopping around from church to church every week looking for that fresh little anointed rain to come down. You better find a church and lock in. If this is your church, don't miss a week, don't miss a Sunday. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord because it's there we grow. We get planted, we put our roots down, and we grow, and we are a blessing to the rest of the body of Christ. Put down those deep roots in the ground. Hosea 9, 16, it says, their fruit root is dried up and will bear no fruit. 
if the roots don't go down deep enough, if they are very shallow, if they spread out, the Bible says the tree will eventually wither and die. But listen to Psalm 1 and verse number 3. It says, that person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do will prosper. Hallelujah. I want to be that kind of tree. I want my roots to go really deep in the Lord Jesus Christ, in those streams of living water, uh, so that my tree can yield fruit, either in the good seasons or in the dry seasons. Why? Because the roots are deep enough. I don't have to depend on the latest shower from heaven. My roots are in Christ Jesus. A little pet peeve. I'm getting excited here. I'm getting off subject. I'll stay with it. The last thing he says to do, seek the Lord. Verse number 12, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Now look what it says in verse 12. He says, for it is time to seek the Lord. You say, pastor, how long? Do I seek the Lord? The next phrase says, until he comes. Until he comes, we'll pray. Until he comes, I'll seek your face. Until he comes, I'll fast. Until he comes, God, I will seek the Lord. I will sing until he comes. And we'll wait on the Lord in his presence until he comes. I will pray until he comes. I'll preach Jesus Christ until he comes. We'll praise God until he comes. Seek the Lord until he comes. Listen, guys, we got to do more than just gather together and play church. We've got it down. We know how to do it. We know when to act, when to say, when to shout, when to move. It's not about playing church. It's about seeking the Lord. And look what it says. It goes on to say, and when he comes, he will rain righteousness upon you. Uh, He will rain righteousness upon you. Even in the middle of the desert, if you will seek the Lord, the rain will come. And some of you guys are going through desert experiences. Uh, Seek the Lord. Don't stop seeking the Lord. The rain will come down in blessing and power in this place. Hallelujah. The Bible says in the last days, world's going to be a mess. I mean, what we're saying is the Bible said would happen. I mean, it's just like the Bible is like that newspaper. It said Satan will attack with great wrath. Evil men will grow worse and worse. There will be a great falling away or a great apostasy in the last days. The love of many will wax cold. Men will become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And and Timothy kind of lays out all these things that are going to be happening in the last days. But for his people who will break up the fallow ground, who will sow in righteousness, who will seek the Lord, God is able to pour out blessings. And and I believe also in the last days uh, there is going to be a mighty outpouring upon all flesh. Showers of blessing are going to come as we wait upon the Lord. Now, where am I at today, church? Listen to me. Where am I at? You got a choice to make this morning. You got a choice to make this morning. You can allow that Holy Spirit to begin to do the deep work inside of you and get all, every single rock that is in the way out of the way. And He can dig up the fallow ground and you can repent this morning. Or if you choose not to, what will happen is your heart will only become harder. There's no staying the same. You don't stay the same. 
Either you're moving forward with God or you're falling away. There's no neutrality there. And if you, re- if you refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit and repent of those things, he begin to bring to the surface. And I only shared a few of them today. It will make you worse. But if we break up the hard ground, if we sow seeds of righteousness, not to the wind, if we seek the Lord until he comes, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. And God will come and he'll pour showers of blessing all over this place. He will rain down, pour showers of blessings out on us. Blessings we won't be able to contain. Hallelujah. He'll bless you coming. He'll bless you going. Uh, he'll bless the fruit of your womb. Uh, he'll bless your house. Uh, it, it's a, it's, an, it's such an exciting, joyful relationship of walking with God. But it's got a first start. All revival first starts with repentance. Stand with me right now. Everybody stand. I gave you about eight sins of omission. I gave you about seven sins of commission. There are probably 20 more I could have added. But I hope you've been listening to the Holy Spirit through the Word this morning. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.